Equity is brought to you by ExaCrunch, that prodigious TechCrunch paywall you keep running into. You can break through that paywall at a steep discount if you use the promo code equity. If you do, you'll get access to our best stuff and you'll make equity look really good internally at the same time. Enough of that, let's start the show. Hello and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital-focused podcast where we unpack the numbers behind the headlines. My name is Alex Wilhelm and I'm joined today by Natasha Moscarinas. Natasha, how are you? Alex, it is so great to have you back on the show. You were sorely missed and I couldn't dance during the intro like I usually do because I was the one saying it this time. I just want to point out that I wasn't going to be a petty small child about this, but after all the Duncan slams that I took last week, Natasha is currently drinking out of an iced (laughs) Duncan coffee cup. So ladies and gentlemen, rank rank hypocrisy is what we're dealing with today. Uh, No, but we are not here to just uh, bang on about coffee and why I'm right about donuts, but instead to talk about EC1s. And Natasha, you know, a lot of folks out there that listen to the show and read the site may not know what an EC1 is. So can you give us just a kind of a detail about what this project is that we've been working on? Yes. For equity listeners, they'll appreciate this. An EC1 is kind of a riff on the S1. So when a company goes is about to go public, they file an S1 with all their financials. EC1 has that same ethos, but is like a lot more narrative focus. And it goes through a company's origin story. It's its market, its challenges along the way. And the way I've described it as I work on one myself is it's the first draft of a book that eventually might get written about a company. It's the the first big look into a company before it becomes a household name or as it's about to become one. So if you're not excited, that is crazy because it is something I think that everyone in our area of tech would love to nerd out about. Yeah, for sure. And by the way, you're not allowed to go on book leave. So <laughs> My I don't dream care. One this day. <laughs> nope, absolutely not. I need you around here. Uh, but joining us today is JP Magdalinden. JP is a well-known technology journalist, formerly one of the tech guys over at Yahoo Finance, our sister pub. And JP put together the recently launched EC1 package on Tonal, the home fitness phenom. Really, I'd say JP. Yeah, that's right, Alex. They've you know they're going bonkers right now in terms of sales growth over the last year. You know, with the pandemic striking, you know, everyone being at home. They've seen like 800% in terms of sales growth. Okay, so we're going to do two things today. We are going to talk a little bit about Tonal itself because I think everyone out there is familiar with the, the Peloton effect and how well Peloton did last year and how that led to more, I mean, shit, early stage consumer hardware funding, if you will, but Tonal a little bit less known. So to ground everyone who might know what weights are and what a bike is, what is Tonal and why is its home setup a little bit different than most kind of at-home fitness workout things? Yeah, sure. So it's a pretty compact wall-mounted device. It can go on most walls in your home. It has a 24-inch touchscreen display. But what makes it really notable is it has these left and right arms on the side that basically hook up to a digital weight system. And that emulates a lot of the gym repetitions that you can do at the gym, like bicep curls or single arm cable rows. Okay, that's so cool slash not casual. When I was reading the EC1 thing that stood out to me was the the phrase electromagnets for resistance instead of weights. Like I genuinely don't understand how that works. And so I am curious when you were trying to understand that, like how did it make sense technologically and how does it still make sense? Uh, that is a great question, and it, re- it required me a lot of back and forth with Tonal CEO Ali Aradi, who himself <laughs> had to learn 
how electromagnetics work. I mean, he had never worked on this kind of technology before, but basically if I had to really distill it down, it requires dozens of magnets to create friction. And for people out there who are trying to picture this in their heads, you know, the last time you were at the gym and you were doing kind of a seated cable row and the weights were going up and down, like the, the plates of you know iron that constitute kind of resistance when you're at the gym, this does that, but in a much smaller package because it uses magnets. And so essentially what you have is a, is a variable system that can increase, quote, kind of the weight or the resistance, if you will. So you can do all sorts of things without having to go clank, clank, boom, and take up your entire living room. As an aside, this makes so much sense now that there's a pandemic. I mean, I know it's so cliche at this point, like they thought of it before the pandemic. That's so cool. But actually, I would imagine that the market really was not really developed. Yeah, that's totally right. I mean, what's interesting about them is that they launched in August 2018, right? And they launched locally instead of nationally, and that caused a lot of slower growth for them. So I hate to put it this way because, you know, the pandemic is what it is, but it's like it was an opportune time for them. The people being forced to go home, they were forced to like rethink, well, how do I stay fit if I can't go to the gym? And so Tonal became like a really tempting option for them to like replicate all the gym stations that they no longer could use. So my, my question about this, though, is, you know, because I, well, I mean, not very well, but I do lift weights and uh, I do also do cardio again, not very well. But to me, they're <laughs> they're distinct things in, in kind of my exercise universe. So it, it, is a total something that I would use to both do cardio and weight training or is it more focused on on the weight side of things? Officially, Tonal will tell you that it does everything for you. But in reality, I, what, it really <laughs> focus, what it really focuses on is the upper body. I mean, they do okay. do some workouts that are like, yeah, I can do some mountain climbers. Yeah, I can do some sit-ups. But that's not really what they're good at. It's really, you know, shoulders and arms and uh, core and areas yeah. like that. While we're being rude about this, like Peloton's <laughs> always like, you should do a strength workout. And I'm like, honey, I've got two pound weights on my Peloton. Like that is not, even I am slightly more advanced than the two pound dumbbells. Okay, but let's turn back the clock, if you will. This came together because the CEO's story is very interesting. He worked for a number of, of tech companies. It, it became, I think, pretty well established in the tech world, if you will. And like a great many of us who sit for a living and type did not end up in the world's best physical shape. And so that led to his kind of realization that he needed to shake up his life. And then that led to Tonal. So JP, if you can briefly, if you can walk us through that. So, you know, Ali had had spent 17 years working at a a bunch of companies like Samsung and HP. He also worked at three enterprise infrastructure startups, you know, and he was an engineer by trade. That's what he studied in college. So he knew nothing about fitness and fitness was not a priority for him. And so he woke up the day after Christmas day and then he realized, Jesus, I am grossly overweight. I have sleep apnea. I have type two diabetes. I feel like shit. And so he was like, I got to do something about this. And so what he did was he decided, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to lose a ton of weight. And he did. He spent the next nine months losing 70 pounds, like running on the treadmill, doing bike rides, doing strength training. I think about four months into this magical weight loss transformation, he was sitting on a bench. He was looking at the strength training devices and he was like, "Okay, these things work, but I wish I could do this at home. But I can't bring all these weight stations at home. It would just be too unwieldy and crowd my home. So what if there was a much smaller compact device that it could accomplish all the things the weight stations can do? And why can't I invent that? So that started the genesis for Tonal. As someone who has also lost a ton of weight in her life in a short period of time, I feel like the emotional resonance of that moment and that aha moment for wanting to take control of your life feels like the exact kind of thing that translates well to a founder 
basically taking like betting on the odds very much against them. This guy was what an enterprise sales guy building a hardware company. It needs to be deeply emotional and something you want to be your legacy if it's something you're willing to bet your reputation and kind of pitch yourself around. And that's because famously, JP, you know, hardware is hard and VCs don't like to fund it, is our general read about this. So so before we go into other stuff, tell us a bit how he managed to get some early capital, because it wasn't easy, even though this ended up working out, getting that first check was tough. Yeah, it was super hard for him, as he explained to me. I mean, especially because he had no fitness experience whatsoever, especially during that seed round. He would go to an, a ton of investors on Sand Hill Road and elsewhere and be like, hey, I've got this janky like super prototype, total, total prototype, which is nothing like what it does now. It was literally like a wheel, one or two magnets on a board, on a table, and he was so proud of it. All you could do was like pull the cord. And, you know, <laughs> He's like, he was, this is game changing. This, this is amazing. This is going to shake up the fitness world. And, and investors were like, dude, you spent 17 years, you know, working on enterprise infrastructure. Why, why am I going to take a bet on a hardware and then a, a bet on you as the founder when you have no fitness experience whatsoever? So it took a lot of a prototyping and iterating on prototypes you developed to get to a point where you could do more than just like pull a cord. And that started to convince some investors, at least what he was doing was sort of innovative and he was doing it in a way that other companies weren't. I know, Alex, you know, you're, well, both of you are probably very, very familiar with yeah, at home fitness market, and you see different variations of like strength training devices out there. A lot of them use like traditional weights. They don't use the electromagnetic technology that Tonal does. Eventually, I think he was able to convince investors that the technology he's using was innovative and what he was creating was unique enough to potentially stand apart in the market. And, you know, obviously over time, Tonal has now raised about $450 million in venture capital to date. And we won't give away all of the details in JP's amazing work in the pod. So make sure you check out the EC one. Use code equity for a discount. I want to spend a part of our conversation talking a bit about your process, which is selfish because, as I said, I'm writing one. And also, we're just three journalists that love talking about process. Journalists talking about each other. Oh, my gosh. It's a first, guys. That's never happened before. <laughs> media makes fun of tech Twitter, but then media Twitter is like just as bad. Like whenever oh, it's, anyone, it's any of us get it's a new job, worse. it's like the best yeah. thing ever. But JP, tell me how how you landed on Tonal. This is not just a 500 word story, but something that's worth thousands and thousands of words and five parts and custom illustrations. First, I have to give a huge shout out to Danny Crichton, who is like an editing god. Oh, he, you know, yeah, he, he is. <laughs> he's lovely. And like, he really elevated the work and offered so much guidance throughout the entire process and really brought things to fruition. When we were first talking about what EC wanted to do, it was a collaboration process between myself and Danny and Henry Pickovit. And we were like, okay, well, which areas am I interested in? Which areas would do well with TechCrunch or ExtraCrunch? We thought about the fitness area because I've been kind of like weirdly obsessed with at-home fitness over the last year during the pandemic. Danny Crichton was lovely enough to to like facilitate introductions to the company. The company was more than happy to open the doors for us and in such a big way. So I was able to interview a good number of executives and employees and spent over 15 hours, I think, in total, just talking to them and ripping with them. As like all of us know, when we talk to companies and when we talk to executives, you know, the PR people always put us on like, you have 15 minutes, you have 25 minutes, you have 30 minutes. And here, which is here, it was refreshing. It was like, Okay, I guess you have an hour with Ollie today, the CEO. What was the hardest part when you had to change your interview from a 20-minute packed, you know, maybe even embargoed or exclusive funding round to a one-hour ask anything you want 
with executives of a venture-backed company? Like, how did you have to kind of reframe your questions and thinking about the actual interview process? Well, I know that sometimes it's frowned upon to do open-ended questions. I felt like open-ended questions serve themselves really well for this particular story because it's getting Ollie to talk about his founding story, which was a lengthy story. And then also just being more fluid with the conversation because sometimes we'd go off on more tangents. And those tangents actually ended up being like super interesting, whether it's talking about a certain feature that just didn't make it in or why he chose to keep the price down the way he did. Well, the price point was because they didn't add certain functionality to the actual device. Like there was an idea to have the arms that have the little uh, pulleys on the move on their own. And then that was just more complexity, a higher price point. I mean, it ended up being about 3K. So it didn't end up cheap, but it didn't end up prohibitively expensive, I suppose, is how I, I think about that. I would ask them, I was like, why didn't you go with a larger screen, which they did experiment with? Why didn't you go with automating the left and right arms? And they would kind of hedge it and be like, well, we found that people like to engage more with the, ar- with the arms and the arms keep them more engaged. But I was like, no, but really it's because you wanted to keep the price point down because you, know, you don't want to sell like a $5,000 device. And so- something that you did in the story that I liked, this was in the last piece, which was saying that the price of Tonal eventually has to come down or something needs to be done to the exact price in order for it to become the next Peloton. I'm curious, like when that realization dawned upon you in the interviewing and in the kind of reporting process. To be honest, it occurred to me right at the start. And I remember <laughs> seeing the price. I remember seeing the price point. And I look, I know as that, a Peloton like- owner, you saw the price point and you were still surprised. That is interesting. Exactly. Well, it's, a, it's a box. It's a box on your wall. I mean, you don't think a box on your wall is going to be 3K. It's a bike. We, we, it's a bike in your garage. <laughs> but no, no, it's a bike in your garage and a way to have your friends hate you. But the total <laughs> does. It, it, it looks a bit like a television. And to me, televisions to cost 78 cents and they're amazing because like like all screens have got, become so inexpensive. That's true. That's and so true. when I look at this, I'm like, cool. Why is it 3K? And then now that I know it's the magnets and the flexibility, you can do lots of stuff on it. Now I'm kind of sold. But like I, I get being a little surprised by that. I'm not putting shade on on Tonal because I really think they're a great company, but technically it's $3,000, but you have to buy the $500 accessory package because the accessory package includes things like the handles, which you kind of need to actually operate the actual (laughs) machine. No handles, no machine. So essentially it's it's, it's $3,500 then, plus 50 bucks a month, give or take. So about 4K for the first year. You gotta be pretty dedicated to this. And it's also a 12 month minimum to subscribe to the membership. It's a big buy-in by any measure. I remember thinking, who is this for? I'm thinking about this too, because, you know, just prepping for our chat today, I've had to kind of look at myself in the mirror and be like, okay, you know, how much money have you spent on fitness lately, Alex? And I was like, oh, that's kind of ridiculous, actually, for, for how not in shape I am right now. But I think there's kind of like two categories of people who do fitness. People who like are going to do it inexpensively. Like I've got friends who just run and they buy a pair of shoes every year and they run and they, you know, that's great for them. And then there's dweebs like myself who really want to have all the gadgetry and so forth. And I, I think that there ends up being kind of a certain like socioeconomic group of which that is that person. And so I, I think the price point probably fits with the demo they're trying to sell to. So even though we can complain that we wish it was cheaper, I wonder if it's just pretty well tuned to their target audience anyways. I think it is. And to be frank, you know, as I dug more and more in, I realized there's actually a significant cross-section of people who own a Peloton and a tonal device. You know, there are those hardcore fitness buffs who... You know, they want to build out like a, a big home gym and that includes more than one piece of equipment. So they are willing to shell out $6,000 plus on devices and good on them. But I don't think that applies to a lot of people in the U.S. 
Just wait until I can go out and buy most, most more free weights. My gym's going to be amazing. <laughs> uh, but before we go, I'm going to ask this one uh, for Natasha, uh, because I know she's in the middle of writing one of these long EC1s, which is why she's been completely stress-free for weeks now. Uh, who was it written for? Because I, I know the audience at TC and Extra Crunch and so forth, but this is a little bit different. So I, I'm curious if you had kind of a target reader in mind when you were writing this. I view this as being aimed toward entrepreneurs and founders. I think a lot of entrepreneurs were interested as to how a guy who was not the most obvious choice to run a fitness company decided to run a successful fitness company. And then for investors to, to take a look at the at-home fitness market is big. It's going to be, I think, $26.5 billion by 2025. So there are, you know, there are still market opportunities out there. So I think it was geared towards them as well, who might be keen to see what opportunities might be there. And then JP, I want you to get super meta with us and put you on the spot a little bit. But if you had to kind of give like a one or two sentence takeaway from spending hours and hours with an at-home fitness company, what do you kind of hope people learn and leave with after reading the Tonal EC1? You know, I think it's interesting. I think the lessons learned is like, you can be an entrepreneur who doesn't necessarily have experience in the field that your startup pertains to, and you can still make it work. Perseverance apparently being the major key. Man, I, I wish we could go back in time, be a fly on the wall in those Sand Hill Road meetings when he had the, the one pulley and the three magnets and was putting it on like the conference room table and be like, look, it's great. Because like little did people know that was going to raise nearly a half billion dollars and I presume go public in the next you know 18 months or whatever it is on the back of their recent sales growth. So JP, obviously you produced a beast, but every writer knows some of the details that get left on the cutting room floor of their own work. Can you give us a little behind the scenes of what you cut, why you decided to cut it, and if there were any heartbreaks involved? There wasn't any heartbreak, but I did lose like two hours worth of interviews that just didn't make the cut because I didn't feel like they really organically fit within the larger story. One hour was focused on, and I have to give credit to Ali Arati because he literally he literally like assembled these PowerPoint presentations for like two hours. Like one hour was like the evolution of hardware. And it was like a slideshow of every single prototype. And we couldn't use the photos. He wouldn't let us use the photos. Uh, and I was like, which, weird. which would have been amazing because to see the evolution would have been so great. There was another hour that was dedicated to software evolution with another, with another PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> oh, no. and it was like so chronological. I thought I was back in college or something. And then the last one was, I spent about an hour talking to two fitness instructors. I don't know about you guys, but I find fitness instructors to be like a very compelling part of the fitness equation, especially oh, yeah. at home, because they can be such personalities and they can make the entertain they're entertaining and they can make the content go by faster. We laugh, but like I'm a huge Matt Wilpers fan on the Peloton family. And so if someone was like, Alex, you can have an hour of Matt's time, I'd be like, just but just talk. Whatever you want to say. Just tell me how great I am. Just like you always do. I would be I would be <laughs> a little puddle on the ground. I would be, yeah. JP, thank you so much for coming on today and, and talking to us through this. A fascinating project, a fascinating company. And I think you're a fascinating person. So where can people listening to this find you on the internet? Yeah, sure. So on Twitter, my handle is JP Manga, J-P-M-A-N-G-A. And then on Facebook, also JP Manga and LinkedIn, also JP Manga. Consistency is key. And for everyone who's uh, listening to this and wants to go read this behemoth, I'm going to put a link to, I think, all the parts in the show notes today. So if you go to the equity post over on techrunch.com, we will have all the links to it in there. And we have a bunch of these coming out. And Natasha, just to give people a teaser, which month is yours coming out? 
that really depends on my output. So based on the trajectory I'm on right now, never. Um, okay. Hopefully within the next two months, though. <laughs> okay, so I heard May, so we're going to hold her to that. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Equity is back, of course, Friday morning with our news roundup. Shout out to everyone putting this together. Talk to you guys soon. Bye.